It's 2023, and likely at this point, you have some goals for yourself for the year. Or even if you don't, it's no problem. It's okay to start setting your goals right now. But having goals is only one part of a really important process to achieving anything that you want. Today, I had Jay Papazan, co-author of The One Thing on the podcast. We're always so lucky to have him on. And we had a really great conversation about what it means to zoom out, think about where you want to go someday in the future. Let that inform what goals you set today and then how important it is to break your goals down. Think about the roadblocks that might be out there, forming habits that help you get to your goals, both the habits that break that goal down, but also the habits that you need to form to keep a relationship and have a system of staying accountable to your goals. In addition, what are some different tools that you can use like the 411 and the GPS are tools that help you bring visibility and break your goals down, stay accountable. But more importantly, or equally as important is the community that you surround yourself by, the people that you surround yourself by that help you get to the place you want to go to. And Jay shares so much powerful insight from his experience and worlds of experience of teaching and training and thinking about these things with us. So please enjoy this conversation with Jay Papazan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Thing Podcast. We're lucky to have Jay Papazan on with us today. And for those of you who don't know, Jay is the co-author of the One Thing book and one of the big reasons why we get to have these conversations every week. So Jay, million thanks for being here today. Oh, I'm excited to chat with you today, Chris. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, it's nearing the end or middle of January. And when this will come out, it'll be early February. And I thought it'd be a great time for us to talk about some of the things that people experience around the goal setting process and being on the path to really making progress to what they want to achieve for the year and, and kind of jump in there. Okay. Um, so early February, our process starts with, you know, getting clear about who you want to become and your values, then going out, setting someday goals, five-year goals, and based on that, one-year goals. I'm just kind of panning in from a great height, like Google World or something, Google Earth. Um, one of the key hacks, I think, that we get to teach people is building habits that make the goal outcomes kind of naturally happen. You know, so if I'm in sales, maybe I need to connect with 20 potential clients every day and building that habit, or maybe I need to do something more foundational, like work on my health so that I have the energy to show up at work the way I want to work on. But the habits tend to be a foundation. So the first place my brain goes, having lived this book for more than 10 years now, because we were writing it for five before it came out, um, is around five or six weeks into the process, four to six weeks is that weird, messy middle in habit formation. It takes about 10 weeks, 66 days. So uh, I get two two groups, maybe three. There's the groups that that's just trucking along, good for them. But then there's a huge percentage of people that kind of stumble out of the block and then there are the people that feel like they're being so successful, it's time to start something new. And I think it's probably helpful. People who are just nailing it right now, I'll just say kudos, way to go. <laughs> but um, I think that there's probably a large cohort of people that maybe stumbled and are discouraged or maybe overconfident and need to, to redouble down on what they started. Which which direction would you want to go? And yeah, no, that that makes sense. Those those two paths and um, relating to some of the the more common things that I hear from the people who are engaging in this process, and it's you know you you get all this momentum. If you're really proactive, you're you're doing your goal setting before the end of the year. It's it's November. It's, it's maybe late October. You're starting this process, but that's it's okay if that's not what you did. And 
you got through the new year and you set some some goals, some New Year's resolutions. You felt really energized. You had momentum. And I think more often than not, people, they they start to distance themselves from that. Not intentionally. They just don't have good systems or habits, like you said. So I think that being the more common group, why don't we start there and talk about some of the things we could do or form to really get back engaged with our goals? Okay. And uh, I'll add, they may not have the habits or systems and they may not have the community around them. Mm. Right. Great if point. everybody is living what you aspire to be around you, you're a lot more likely to do it. You know, it's the the positive side of peer pressure and why we need to be so purposeful about who we spend time with. Right. And you may not have control of that. You may be working in a chaotic office or remote environment where you'll really have to do this and build your own network. So I guess you you named another category. Maybe I didn't set goals. Mm. Maybe I don't have that firm foundation of kind of the future me and the future goals to really be working for. Um, I think you said it, one, it's never too late. Um, it's like, you know, February, whatever, right now, when they're listening to this, most people will have a really great out of the gates moment and then fall off. You know, when I talk to people about goal setting and having a relationship with them, they have to go dust off their New Year's resolutions that they put <laughs> in a drawer and forgot or like in some folder three months prior so it's not like we have to worry that everyone is lapping us in this race. You could start middle of the year and make more progress than most people do in a full year if you do the right thing. So, And it's your race, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's Don't compare it to other people. That's the wrong thing to do. I mean, your race is your race. It's your journey. It's better to start now than any other time. Yeah. And uh, maybe what you started off with isn't working. So I think sitting down and getting clear um, and sometimes it just takes taking a notebook, probably not a digital device, right? So we can actually focus, sit in a cafe, find some place where you can think and ask the question, what is it that I truly want to have happen this year? And then we can work backwards with our process to what do I need to be doing daily for that to naturally show up? Mm. So uh, the discouragement is something, I mean, I feel like I'm really tough on myself. I think a lot of people who aim high um, can be their own worst critics. And so giving yourself some grace and just saying, okay, I stumbled out of the blocks. I didn't start the way I wanted to, but now I need to double down. And I think that starts with the commitment of time. And if you block the time to reset, right, I'm going to actually now set some goals. I'm going to focus on what I want my week to look like so that those goals could naturally happen. I think the time is now, right? Set some time, open up your phone while you're listening to this, right? And go to your calendar and block two hours. Mm -hmm. Like that little beachhead that you put on your calendar um, can be the start of a brand new you this year. I love that. You know, something that's come up for me more recently when it, going through this process and setting goals that I wanted to call out is it's it's not easy to to set goals, but you can do it. But something that, that's very, really powerful is when you set those goals, imagine what you want to accomplish for the year. Don't forget to consider what are some of the big roadblocks that you might encounter and be proactive about putting some mitigation in place. So when you're thinking, where do I want to go? Think about what are the big kind of three to five things that could get in my way and get your mind oriented around working through that when you build your strategies. Well, the, there's a quote by someone we had in one of our earlier books, Shift, and it's the most successful people in the world are those who are successful at plan B. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that because it reminds you, like, if you've got a big goal, I don't think you need to overthink it. Um, we used to have a process whereby we would say, you know, here's your GPS, right? 
you've got your one big goal, the priorities that it'll take to achieve it, and a few strategies for each. We usually flip that over when we all agree, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do and say, what are three things that could derail us? And what's one plan of action for each of those? And I think just knowing what you'll do if something weird happens is really great for your mental health and for your confidence moving forward. And chances are you may have to enact one of those plans. But a lot of times when things go sideways, panic ensues, right? You're like, oh, crap, what's going on now? It's nice to have thought about that in a calm moment when you had your team around you or you just had your wits about you. And now you can say, hey, I I knew this might happen. What did I say I was going to do in response to it? And yeah. that really sets you up for future success. Yeah, and you you said it, the, the confidence that gives you that even if what comes up isn't something you plan for, you know you put in the work at least a little bit to, to mitigate, to have a plan B. That's right, that's right. And you've got a plan that you can at least start down and that gets you into action faster because maybe that plan B needs to be a plan C, D, or E, yeah. <laughs> but at least you're not going to the sidelines to figure it out. You can now pivot and do the next great thing. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so somebody that, that say they've got their goals going, uh, or they just took your advice and they they wrote them down as they they paused this podcast. Uh, what are some of the things they should look out for when it comes to getting into this this behavior, this habit, these habits, or or the people that they need to surround themselves by to set themselves up for success? Um, I think uh, having a reasonable standard. I think for a lot of years, our community, right, we do these sixty six day challenges to to form habits, and a lot of people would be like, "Oh, I missed a day." And like the crowd would all shout, start over. Hmm. And that may be appropriate. Um, I recently read some research. um, I can't cite it. It's too new to me. But they were documenting the fact that in habit formation, missing one day is not that consequential when you go right back to it, right? Maybe you had a cold, right? So you took a day off from jogging, but the next day you're right back out there. It's when you miss multiple days in a row that things you really might want to think about restarting. Regardless of that, I'll just admit, um, uh, Gretchen Rubin, uh, the author, when I was chatting with her about habits, she showed me research that when you really do start over completely, it is often harder. And the reason is because we don't have the joy of starting something new, Mm. right? Ah, I'm starting my marathon training program or, oh, I'm doing whatever. Nobody gets on Facebook to say, hey, I screwed up. I'm starting over. And has that kind of enthusiasm. So you don't necessarily have that tailwind and just acknowledge it and maybe get more support from the people around you. Like, hey, I need your help. Help me move forward. This is really important for me and for us because blank. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Yeah, that, that's such a good point. Because if you are on a 66-day challenge or you've said, hey, for the next period of time, I'm going to do something every day to form a habit, you're going from probably not doing that thing to doing it at a really high level to going like 66 days without making a mistake. And you have to give yourself some permission to, if you trip one day, don't lose all your steam and say, man, this isn't worth it anymore. Like, I'm not going to hit my 66 straight days. It's like, you know what? You had a little stumble, get up and keep running. It's not a big deal. Keep yeah. going. That's fine. Add a day to the end of it. Double yeah. down the next day. Instead of running one mile, run one and a half for two days in a row, right? Find a way to mentally say, I'm back on track. And that, that when you give yourself that grace and say, you know what? I'm back on track. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. When yeah. you say I'm off track, it can start a whole other kind of cycle in your brain and you don't want to go there. Yeah, it's, it's like almost you, you build this picture in your mind that like you will go 66 days or nothing. And if you if you don't do that 66 days straight and you, you slip one day, that, that picture isn't fulfilled anymore. And that's just the wrong way to approach it. I think it's, it's not the right ends that you're trying to get to. Everybody's circumstances are unique. Uh, every habit has its own unique challenges based on who you are and where you are. And like 66 days isn't a guarantee. Like my biggest kind of, you know, face plant on the habit formation is I tried multiple times to build in a habit of meditation. Once I went 155 days in a row without breaking it, I was like, finally, this is the one. I've nailed it, right? And it was really small domino stuff. Like I'm just going to meditate for five to 10 minutes every morning. I get straight out of bed, get sit down with my back. I've got a bad back. So instead of just sitting in the lotus position, that's really hard for me. I could just sit cross-legged with my back lightly supported. Boom, I was in there. Went on Christmas break. I didn't do it for two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. And I didn't even realize I hadn't done it for two weeks. And I was like, well, there you go. So there's always going to be challenges. That's just the nature of life. And how we rebound from them is ultimately kind of the story that we get to write for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. And we're talking about habits and that's if you've set a goal for for yourself for the year and if if you've done it the way we believe you should, you've you've broken that goal down into kind of critical milestones or benchmarks along the way that you'll want to hit to that destination and then go and then you go smaller down to what are the small behaviors I need to do on a weekly basis all the way down to what's something I can do every day. What's a habit I could form that would get me to my goal? And that's really important in parallel to that. There's probably some good habits to form around how to engage in a goal-setting process in general, not necessarily your goal, but the behaviors that will keep you in what we like to call a relationship with your goal. Maybe we should talk about those. Oh, those are some of the most important things that people could do for future success, right? And having a relationship with your goals is, I mean, actually, I think setting goals is easy. It's actually fun. People get to dream, right? Mm -hmm. oh, maybe I want to have a yacht someday or a ranch or whatever, you know, maybe it's a lot more modest. I want to read 50 books a year. Um, well, that's actually high. Sorry. But <laughs> I was thinking financially, right? I can go to the library and check out 50 books. But um, whatever that aspiration is, I think that can actually be fun and exciting. It's the challenge of showing up every day and every week to revisit them. So the simplest habit I think people can form, we use the 411, which is a one-page document where you put your annual goals Every month, you break them into monthly goals that would lead to the annual goals. And every week, you say, what do I have to do this week to be on track for my month, to be on track for my year? Have a weekly meeting with that document. Um, when I started using the 411, I guess now 22 years ago, working with Gary Keller, that was one of the first documents he handed me. Like, here's how we're going to track your goals and your progress. You can use it for yourself, and we're going to use it together. I started doing that. I shared it with my wife. 
years before she got into business, she started doing it just because it made sense, right? Having a weekly meeting with yourself, asking, what is my 20%, the stuff that really matters, the big rocks, as they would say, tracking it on one page. And then that, that meeting goes a long way of kind of reinforcing it. It'd be like going on a date, right? Once a week, I'm going to have a date night, but instead of with your loved one, with your goals, you're going to think about them and the, the key activity for me is I'm looking at my goals and then I'm looking at my calendar and saying, does my calendar reflect where I want to go? Because ultimately, how we spend our time is going to get us to those goals. It's not writing them down. That does make us more likely to succeed. So does accountability. But nothing happens until action happens. And action happens when you put it on your calendar. Mm, I love that. Yeah, our, our research show that you are 76% more likely to achieve your goals, if you write them down first, you break them down and then review them and check in on them weekly. So if you do those three things, you're three quarters more likely to achieve the goals that you said. I'd say it'd be higher than that because the actual research we pulled from, um, oh gosh, I wish I could remember this. I'm just having a, a blank senior moment here, <laughs> but um, it's in the book, right? So go look at the book. The, uh, the 76, what they were tracking was people that chose accountability. They wrote their goals down and then every two weeks, not even every week, they were sending it to someone to report on their progress. So they had a fortnightly, biweekly habit of saying, here's my goal and here's how I'm doing. And knowing that they had to report on that to someone other than themselves made them 76% more likely to do it. Wow. Now, add in double the frequency of those check-ins, right? And break it into a process of having milestones along the way I think the odds of your succeeding go way, way beyond 76, but that becomes kind of the floor mm -hmm. if you're going to follow that process. Yeah, and so the the tie in there is you can have some systems or, or a set of behaviors that help you stay accountable to yourself, the 411, but to go to that next level, to go a step higher, bring someone else into your world that can help hold you accountable and the power that that creates. Yeah, and so who's that person? Um, the very first goal-setting retreat we ever did um, we had two young businesswomen show up, which was strange, right? They'd just seen it on um, Eventbrite or something and signed up. And we're like, wow, you're not a part of our crew. Like, who are you? They were both starting their businesses. They just chose to be 411 partners after experiencing the process. And they both went on to do great things. One of them started a huge video business and was eventually filming like um, Tim Ferriss's podcast for him. Like, I mean, really hitting the heights in that world. And the other one was on the cover of um, Austin Realtor Magazine or one of those, like as one of the top young brokerages that she started out. And they started that by what I would call peer partnering, right? So you can meet with your boss if you have a boss and say, here are my goals. Um, you can meet with a coach, which I think is the highest form of accountability, right? They, you've literally invested in this person to keep you on track, to ask you tough questions about how you're doing. But right in the middle of those, it's just a peer partner. Hey, my boss is not willing to meet with me or that's not in our culture. I can't afford a coach yet. Who is on this journey with me? Um, find someone and say, let's have a regular rhythm. Let's meet and hold each other accountable. That works. That works really well. That's awesome. We, have, we all have these belief systems. That's how we view the world. And over time, when you, even in the process, if you're really good and you have a, a 411, you, you've built this out or any accountability framework that you use and you've got your goals, you haven't broken down. Over time, in repetition, you're probably going to begin to tell yourself a story, even if you're not aware of it. 
And some some of this can build and you might not even notice that you're you're doing this. And some interesting uh, statistics that we found that National Science Institute says you average, on average, a person has 50,000 thoughts per day, which yeah. I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. And 40,000 of those thoughts are are things that you tell yourself daily on repetition. Hmm. And so it's really interesting when you think about the stories that you begin to tell yourself over time and just the way the brain works, you begin to formulate maybe like a, a container around this, this thing that you're doing. And without including somebody else in that conversation with you, you may not become aware that you're beginning to tell a story and it could go the wrong way into a limiting belief that then starts to shut down your goal process. So having somebody else come in and ask the same question you ask yourself is fascinating what can come out of it. Oh, yeah. I think the the name of that story you tell yourself optimally is momentum, mm. right? We talk about small dominoes. It's amazing the power of momentum. Even tiny steps add up over time. People think that success happens in these giant leaps and these sprints and overnighters. That's really not the way big, extraordinary success happens, at least not usually. Usually, it's just these really mundane, boring things that people show up and do every single day. And that's just a, something hard for people to get their head around. So you can start telling yourself the story of, I'm making progress. And then over time, I'm making progress at a faster rate than I expected because the dominoes get bigger without you even trying. So that's that metaphor. If you've opened up the book and seen the domino fall, they can knock over one that's 50% larger each time. By the 18th, a domino run would knock over the leaning tower of Pisa, one that tall. And we could go on in that metaphor, but that's what I'm referring to if you haven't read the book. So momentum is a big part of it. If you were going to hold a 411 meeting with yourself, um, with someone else, um, here are some really helpful questions if you just wanted a framework. I'd sit down with you, Chris, and I'd say, great, what was your goal? Right? We'd look at your 411. You'd say, here, I was going to do 10 widgets. Great. Um, how did you do? And you'd say, I made seven. How do you feel about that? And you'd say, well, I was kind of disappointed. Great. Now, what are you going to do? Those are really the fundamental questions. And I would ask if they didn't have a 411, do you have a plan? What is the goal? Great. Do you have a plan? What did you do? How did it turn out? How do you feel about that? And what now? It's really a simple formula. Like you could train an 11-year-old to hold you accountable if you were willing to be accountable to that process. The process works. Yeah. And those those week-over-week meetings can help you identify a repetitive pattern of, of maybe a limited success and then start to drill down and say, okay, well, what... What's happening here? What's the one thing I can do to move the needle forward here? And just being able to see that over time show up and, and being accountable to it and having someone else challenge you is so powerful. Yeah. Well, that last question, what are you going to do now, allows people to kind of author their own recipe, mm. right? It's really important that people are writing their own story of success. You can tell someone what to do and they may or may not do it. I mean, this is adults we're talking about, right? Yeah. We got out of school and we were really happy to get out <laughs> and have our own independence. But when people say, I'm going to do this, um, they're a lot more likely to do it than you saying you should do this. And so giving people that chance of, you know what? I've noticed on the weeks that I make seven instead of 10, um, it's when I do X. So I'm going to start making sure that I do my goal work before I do X because I tend to get distracted. It doesn't mean you have to eliminate it. You just may have to shuffle the deck a little bit. But that weekly interaction is how all of those insights happen. Yeah, we, we like to say authorship equals ownership. So when you get to author your own path, you, you have ultimate ownership and your own success. That is uh, one of the biggest leadership lessons that Gary's taught me is that um, 
allowing people to find their answers is really important. There's a really funny backstory he shared um, at a recent training event. He was trying to become a better coach and a better leader. And he knew that coaching people to success was going to be a big part of his recipe. So he went to the bookstore, got every book out there on consulting and coaching. And, you know, starts going through the pile and flipping through them, taking notes. And he finds one of them and realizes it's not really a coaching and consulting book. It's a guide for municipal consultants, right? For the kinds of people who come in and help a city council do urban planning. Like, it's really a technical document. And he's like, well, crap, I just wasted 25 bucks, right? Mm. But he chooses to flip through it. And kind of buried in the middle, he found this one section about why municipal consultancies fail. And basically, it said, when you come in as a consultant and say, here's the plan, here's how to execute on it, even if the whole council votes it in, usually a few months down the road, it falls apart. And the author of that book, we've I've tried so hard to find this, but this would have been like a circa 1986 book. I have no idea, <laughs> right? But said, basically, if you involve the city council members in authoring the plan, they will stick with it. And so that was where Gary kind of mentally came up with, well, authorship is ownership. If they feel like they've authored the plan, then they're going to take more ownership of it when I'm not in the room to tell them to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And that was this consultant's main recipe for success was to involve the civic planners, the, the, the city councilman, the mayor, whatever that was, in the actual creation of the plan, because that made them X more times likely to follow it. Yeah, I, I'm sure if you're, for the leaders out there listening, you've had that experience before of trying to ram something in and just no buy-in from the team and it's, it just falls flat. And if you've had this awareness or had the the opportunity to try what you're, what you're mentioning is include them in, in the build process, A, because that's going to give you more insight that you may not have had in the first place. And B, they're going to feel more of a sense of authorship and buy-in and you're going to see their, the commitment to it over time. But then turn that on yourself and you should have that kind of authorship in, in your plan. Yeah. I mean, I've seen you do that when you've brought your um, trainers and coaches together you stand at the whiteboard, and I, one of the things I first commented on your leadership style is that you were remarkably quiet. Mm. You ask a lot of questions, and you documented what they were saying. And then as a co-author, you started organizing it into a system of priorities. So you both had some control over what the output was, but they felt like they had a ton of input. And I was like, that was a great meeting, Chris. Mm, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely from experience and trying to, to to tell versus listen. Being curious first is a, is a skill that's built. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't inherent for me. Well, I think a lot of leaders are impatient, right? Mm. Like, we want to get shit done, to be frank, right? So having to stop and explain things is really tough. Yeah, and it's hard to, unless you've been through it, to see what's on the other side of that horizon if you don't slow down and do those things. Yeah, stitch in time comes to mind. You know, measure twice, cut once, whatever it is. Like yeah. that pre-work of getting people authorship makes the likelihood that you won't have to revisit that conversation again and again much more high. And that actually gives you more time by investing it up front. All right, that's probably true in so many applications. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's probably but, a great law of the universe. We just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, or have to keep learning the lesson re repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> My wife called me out on this. Really? Uh, our youngest child was struggling to do some, you know, stuff like, you know, tie their shoes. And when I'm in the rush to get them to school and me to work on time, sometimes I would just stop and do it. Here, let me help you. And she just pointed out, like, every time you do that for them, you're basically telling them that they can't do it. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to send that message 
to my son. That's the wrong message. I want them to fail forward. Well, as a leader, you do that too. Every time you short circuit the system and just say, this is where we're going and this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to do it, you're basically telling them to turn off their own leadership minds and not bring leadership. Mm. So anyway, that was my takeaway from that on a personal level. Yeah, it's interesting. When you when you bring uh, developing leaders into that process or, or developing team members, it takes a little bit if they're not used to offering that kind of insight to kind of tune them up to know that this is what this is. Like show up and bring your thought. Like it's open space for that. Like that's it's empowering for them. They're a little bit cautious about like, where should I jump in here? Well, they think, well, is this a test? Am I still in the, the interview process? Right, right? It feels right. like a, is this a test? Like, am I going to say something and they're going to jump on it and say, no, this is how you do it. Because that's how a lot of leaders work. Yeah. They ask for people's opinions and then immediately discard them. Mm. And you, you have to create a, 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 a space of safety so people feel like if they, if they just lob stuff out there every once in a while, everyone's going to say something, it falls flat. And oh, yeah. in, more often than not in my case, but <laughs> but it's going to fall flat and it's not going to, it's not going to land. And you, then you feel really judged or you, you're like, oh, for 15 minutes, you're in your own head, just running some story about how you're not adequate. And then you finally get back. And so it's just creating a space of knowing that, hey, just put stuff out there. I mean, if you know it's not a good idea, maybe don't recommend it. But if you believe it, just go and feel yeah. comfortable. There you go. All right. So where are we, Chris? We, we went down a leadership track. but I, So I wanted to go back. You said something earlier, now thinking about setting goals and forming habits for yourself. And this, the, the, you said something about uh, the Google map. And you're talking about kind of what I call zooming in and zooming out. And I, I'm curious what you think about this and, and the goal setting process specifically and the ability to kind of in the, I guess the frequency of zooming out and taking a bigger look at like where we want to go, pick your head up, look over the horizon. And then when you want to zoom all the way in down to like, what's that tiny habit I need to form and the skill that's associated with that? Well, the I, I, I misnamed it first. I think it's called Google Earth. Isn't that where you like type in an address and then it starts in outer space yeah. and then goes through the atmosphere? Yeah. Um, I think good goal setting looks like that. And when people say begin with the end in mind, it's about putting an anchor out in your future to make sure that the plans you're making today are actually leading to it. And it's amazing how this process works so well, and no one ever teaches it. But going farther out, having a bigger view on time, you know, like my goals this year shouldn't just be for this year. I want to have a great 2023, but I want that to be on the path to having a great 20s, right? You know, 2020s this decade being great. So I'm trying to look at a bigger frame of time than saying, based on where I want to be someday or in five years, what do we have to do this year? That's locking me into that bigger target. Most people look forward and they just say, what's the next big thing I can do? And the problem is you can be doing big things and literally running in circles, right? You're not actually moving towards any distant goal. Each target, whether it's to close a big account or whatever, can lead you kind of not in any serious direction where you get scale and get to grow as grow bigger and grow momentum. Yeah. It's connecting, connecting your goals to like a bigger why even, right? Like a bigger purpose. And and that, that, that purpose could be a combination of, you know, a specific goal some point in the future, or, or it could be vague, just directionally accurate. But then aligning the shorter term goals with that gives you a connection and just more of a, I guess, a tuned compass over time. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 plus years and I still struggle to set someday goals, right? It gets so murky when you go way out there. Mm -hmm. I have notions and that's why I usually use like a compass direction. Like I generally know that I'm moving south. I want it to get warmer, right? 
And if I cross the equator and go too far, I'm going to be going north because like whatever that is, like I'm using warmer as a metaphor, I'm moving in that direction, but it still feels vague. When I get out about five years, things get a lot clearer for me because I'm older. Like in the next five years, we'll be empty nesters. Like, and that brought a lot of focus. This is our last year with our oldest son in our house. That brought a lot of focus to the now, this year, this month. And like, we're going on college visits and we're trying to make sure that our oldest Gus is really equipped for what he'll be doing without us present next year. So that kind of back and forth, looking forward and then saying, what does that mean for me now? It's a skill that no one teaches us. Um, I'd never heard anyone articulate as clearly as Gary. I literally, that whole goal setting to the now, I watched him consult someone. He asked him a bunch of questions. I couldn't see the pattern because it was the first time. And I just said, Gary, how did you get so specific so fast? He goes, it wasn't fast at all. I took him out in the future and we just started working our way back. And then when he got to his annual goal, like I've been in this industry for 30 years or whatever at that point, I knew what he needed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, there's just a clear priority at that point because I knew where he was going. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's how it works. Yeah. Now that that makes sense. And I guess there, if you think about that process and you think about zooming out, then zooming all the way back in, like how frequently do you think someone should pick their head up, look out into the future and then come back down? Like when, what do you, from your experience, relatively speaking, what's a, a good frequency? Oh, should. You know, like that word ties me up. Uh, I, <laughs> our old writing mate, Dave Jenks, is like, would say, don't should on me, right? <laughs> and uh, it's true. I, I feel like at a minimum of once a year, I think that um, for us, we do our goal setting retreat that we facilitate. Um, it's something we learned to do from Gary that October, November timeframe when you have enough runway to think far out and still start planning for the next year as a business person or whatever it is you do. That's the bare minimum. But I will share that, like, I take my 411 that we talked about earlier. I have my GPSs, my one-year action plans and goals underneath it. And then I have a small deck that's our five-year goals for my wife and our family. It's about eight pages in all. I just have a small journal. I keep that Every week I, I update the 411 and that goes in my notebook so that if I'm on a long plane ride and I finish my book early, sometimes I'll just open it up and start flipping through it and asking questions around, why is that important to me, right? What, what will that do for my life? What will that do for my family? And just kind of examining some of the goals you set. Because I'll tell you this, there's about 30 to 50% of our long range goals that we set that we end up striking because it sounded really good at the time. Mm. Um, but as we go down the journey, like we got clearer about what it was that goal represented. You know, maybe we said we wanted X, but what it was is X delivered a higher sense of security. And we found a better way to get that need met than actually seeking that specific goal. And a lot of our goals represent some sort of other quality behind it that it's doing for us. So... I don't know. I probably look at them three or four times a year, but I really want to go deep once a year. Yeah. yeah. You, you said something about that that I've, I've experienced personally. I've experienced with with students and, and those that have trained my team, things like that. And that's the like being new to the process. And I think there's, there's like overtime when you're thinking about a someday goal. There are external factors, there are life changes, things you're focused, your interest, and that's okay. Just kind of uh, shift direction and it's just good to have a true north regardless of what that is 
But then I think there's also the, this kind of tuning of the instrument that happens. You get just better at the process. Yeah. And and you you understand how it works. And for somebody that's new, they've I've, that's struggled and said, like, someday I, I just, it's, I can't do that. Like I can do a year. I can do a year right now. Mm-hmm. And what I've told them is like, great, let's go. Let's do that. Get some momentum. Three months into the process, they're like, I want to talk about someday. You know, you just get into that place. But do you do you follow that same thought process? Just get to get some momentum going, get better at the process, then zoom back up. Well, uh, perfection is overrated, right? Mm. And I think I suffer from that. Like, I really want to have my spreadsheets and dial everything in. And um, I think that it's more important that we make progress as quickly as possible because we learn from our progress. So, like, even if you had someone working on a one-year plan for three months you're their coach, right? You're their mentor, their boss, whatever. Now you can sit back and say, you want to set some longer range goals. Why do you think you set these goals? Where do you think those goals are aimed at? Now you have like, even if it's just three months, you have a couple of dots to put in a row and they can draw a line and see where it's heading out. So what do you think that that was about? What is that going to do for you? How would it make you feel if you did triple or three times that? You now at least have some ammunition to, you know, like, it's not just the stars and a sextant and a compass, right? You actually have some more data to start drawing a line and getting clear about where they might be going so they can set even better goals. Yeah. I think that's that's a really interesting perspective. And when you talk about drawing the line, and I know we've spoken about this before, about goals being somewhat of a destination of sorts, and then thinking about plotting your way to that destination and calling out some of those those critical milestones. And do you still think about it that way and, and think about these these kind of checkpoints, kind of benchmarks that'll get you there? Well, the one of the biggest lessons um, I learned, and it was really a new learning, and I think it was for Gary too, because what we wanted the outcome of the book to be is not just this life of no regrets, which is one of the themes of the one thing, but like, what we, what do we want for our kids, right? Most people will say, I want them to be happy. And we learned to kind of change our language. Most of the research out there on happiness shows you that it's a choice, it's fleeting, all of those things. But a deeper sense that a lot of people mistake for happiness is fulfillment. And we get a deep sense of fulfillment when we're making progress towards really big goals. So this idea of having really distant goals and then creating these milestones to celebrate, like to lead a fulfilled, really great life, the more of those you can put in your path, the better. Because mm. each time you cross a milestone, whether you literally celebrate, which would be my wife, let's throw a party, you know, um, or just pat yourself on the back and say, wow, look how far I've come. Um, it's a it's a really great way to, again, build that sense of momentum in your head, that increased confidence that allows you to ask bigger and bigger questions for your life. Um, there's a book out there, and I can't remember the author, it's called The Gap in the Gain. The one takeaway I had from it, which is really valuable is most high achievers, they look at where they are, where they want to be, and they're focused on the gap between those two things. And the point of the book was, you need to also look at the gain. Mm. How far have you come since you originally started down that journey and celebrate that? And that's where that gain is a really important part of this process. As you're crossing those milestones, you can look at your your old you know track record of goals and say, wow, look at, look how far we've come. That's a really good feeling, and it gives you so much confidence when you ask questions about your future. That's a that's a really good analogy. And the gap in the gain is, is an amazing book, and it's there's a balance to be struck, right? Like you 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 want that 
that gap so that you have the vision, you're motivated, you're thinking through how you move from where you are to where you want to go, but then just enough of, of a recognition of the gain to stay engaged, to not become discouraged. And for myself, I, it's having a, a little bit of a, a trigger or a, a, a checkpoint to know when I, I'm feeling a little bit this way, like, oof, you know, it's a, this has been exhausting for the last few weeks or month, or you know, I feel like we're not making progress to take a moment, hit pause and recognize some of the gain and say, oh, okay, all right, it's working. Let's yeah. go, head back down, go. Yeah. <laughs> and having that checkpoint. So we, we've talked about powerful habits, both how you develop them in alignment with your goals, this, more of the systematic habits that will keep you on track and uh, the, the systems we use like the four-on-one and the GPS. But you mentioned something earlier I wanted to circle back to, which is the people side, the community, beyond just an accountability partner, direct one-on-one, but being in a community of people that are like-minded or that can support you. And curious if, if we could go there for a minute on your experience. Well, um, we know this when you, when you have kids, you, you really are concerned about who they're spending time with because you know that sets their reality. We read some research when we were um, writing the book that if one of your close friends is obese, like the likelihood that you will be goes way, way up. And basically, there's I could go way deep and geeky on you here, is that whatever your normal is becomes kind of where the bar is. And your normal is just your environment, which, it, which says so much about how people who are born into tough circumstances often have a steeper hill to climb. It's just reality. Mm. Not only did they maybe start at a deficit because they came from a family that didn't have many means and wasn't well-connected, whatever, they have to start building all of that from scratch. They inherit nothing from their folks. They also they also have this sense of not seeing the habits that they want, right? Children that came from a family that wasn't really great they don't really have a model for what a great family looks like. So we have to build it. So as adults, we have an opportunity to be really purposeful about who we choose to spend time with. And I think it starts with who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? And then looking around and who appears to be already living that life? How do you find ways to get more of their time and build deeper relationships with those people because without them even formally coaching you, a lot of times they're living the habits and behaviors that you're seeking that'll get you the results that you want. So curating your 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 network is so huge. Um, and think about the people you spend the most time with. I mean, there's your family, right? And God love them. We get what we got. And we can only do so much management on family. Like if you're the parent, you have a little bit more control for about 18 years and then good luck. But who we're born to is something that we just have to work with. But we get to choose the friendships. We get to choose the places where we work. And that matters a lot. So Mm -hmm. I just think reminding folks that they have agency, um, it doesn't mean they need to abandon their friends. It just might mean that they start purposefully spending more and more time with people that are on a similar trajectory. Um, That was really true for me when Wendy and I chose to kind of go on a wealth building journey. That meant that we stopped spending as much. We were very mindful of where our money was going and how we were employing it. And there are a lot of people who don't feel comfortable with those conversations. And their reasons for having money were much different than ours. And I just found that we spent less and less time with them. I'm still great friends with them and we still do some of the same activities. I just spend more time with other people that are on a similar journey. Yeah, uh, that's... Being intentional about your environment is so important. If you know where you want to go, 
like you said, everyone's starting from a different opportunity and place. And some people really are, are limited in the in the early stages and being able to do that. But you got to start somewhere and know where you want to end up and what's the the community or the environment that you should be in that will help propel you to that place. And I had this conversation. Isn't that the trick though? Knowing yeah. where you want to go. It is. And yeah. I, think, I think we underestimate how challenging that is for a lot of folks mm. to imagine themselves as being capable of being somewhere different. Right. Right. There may be limiting beliefs between them and there. It may be just a failure to practice, but like success is getting what you want. It's not any more complicated. There's not a dollar amount. There's not an achievement that says you're successful because we all know people that have done amazing things and been completely miserable. Right. Right. Great point. So figuring out what you want is maybe the toughest part of any of these journeys is what do I want? Where am I going? And why is that important to me? And those just take a little time with yourself and being comfortable, being uncomfortable asking them. So yeah. I, I interrupted you, Chris. No, that's... I wanted to highlight. You said it two times in a row. And I was like, that is the trick. That's the thing. Well, and if, if you're uncomfortable asking those questions, know that that's okay. And it's it's something that you will get better at. Just asking the question over time and staying focused on it will begin to yield results that you didn't know were possible. Then you'll be able to see the gain Mm -hmm. And recognize the gain in this gap that you've only seen for so long. Now you can see some gain. Then you start to get motivation and, and buy-in in that. You, you talked about the the environments and and some of the people from your experience that you've had to kind of let go of because they weren't conducive to the place where you wanted to end up in your own experience. And I was talking to this gentleman, his name is Michael Unbroken, a few weeks ago on the podcast. And he was sharing that for him, he had anchors, people that were like anchors in his life that he just had, even family, that he had to like cut ties with because it was just keeping him from being able to move forward. And I think that's true. And the analogy I shared that I'd heard beyond the anchors, once you get past those, then you have almost like rocket boosters. If you think of it this way, at times there's people in your life that are helping you and it doesn't have to be so um, sticky the way that this comes off, but people who are with you that are, you guys are going somewhere together and the, there's times you got to let those boosters fall off so you can keep going to the next level. So there's there's kind of the people that hold you back and then recognize that you're in different phases of your life. Yeah, I think, um, Michael, you said, I think mm -hmm. that if someone is truly toxic, right, I think that the word cut off is appropriate, right? If you're in an abusive relationship, right, there's, there's the hard line. I just want to be clear, like, I didn't divorce myself from a lot of the relationships that weren't going there. I just curated them differently. Mm, great right? point. Instead of spending every Friday and Saturday night hanging out with people, um, became a little bit less frequent. And I was just trying to spend more time in and around people that were going where I wanted to go. So, but again, if there are people that are anchors, that's a really strong word, right? Mm -hmm. I'm imagining like an amble, right? You know, chain to your ankle. Yeah, that's really hard. You may have to unshackle yourself from those people um, pretty firmly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, Jay. Well, we uh, we covered a lot today, and we we talked a lot about a really important, a lot of really important pieces of getting off to a great start and playing with a lead. I think in the in the new year. Uh, but if you could have our listeners take away one thing from the podcast today, what would it be? Well, it's funny, we started with this idea of people, you know, we're at that one month mark and where they've come from January 1 or even if they've started. So I would just tell them kind of what we said earlier. We've walked through a lot of the really important processes and systems that we teach and train in our company that I've lived for 22 years working with Gary and how impactful they can be. Just start where you are. I think that judging ourselves is 
good if you're working with someone like in a coaching relationship. How did I do? How can I do better? But there's a limit to the utility of that. You now need to say, I'm ready to move forward and just get started. I think, like I I said, just book that two hours on your calendar. What does success look look like for you so that you can know where you're headed and based on that, make a plan for next week. Love it. Jay, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to uh, be a part of this podcast with us and appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks for letting me come back like an uncle and hold the baby for a little while. (laughs) Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on -on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.